I was born here. Yet this place is foreign to me. I'm not from here. I've lived a privileged life. I've never gone a day without a meal or a warm bed. Yet it could have been so different. After living in a few orphanages, I was adopted by a family in Canada, which is where I've lived ever since. I don't know why I came back here. I have no relatives that I know of, no friends, nothing. I guess I just needed to see what my life could have been. Everywhere I look, I see children with no parents, with nothing at all. They've been abandoned, abused, sold into slavery, victims to horrors I can barely imagine. Why does this happen? I've seen things like this on the news, but when I hear about people dying halfway around the world, it doesn't affect me. It's so far removed from what I experience. But now seeing these children face to face, it's real. to realize that so much of the world lives in the ruins of war and hate. You don't have to look far to see how broken our world is. People do terrible things to each other. Have we just become so good at pretending things like this don't happen? The world is full of poverty, corruption, and violence. I know it's wrong. It has to be. There is so much evil in this world. I believe in a God who has the power to stop it. So why doesn't he? All right, well, good morning. Some very thought-provoking uh, images and questions there from that video, aren't there? And it's a question we're answering today. We're in our thinking series. Did you bring your thinking cap? Everybody have their thinking cap? Maybe you need to shake your brain up a little bit and wake it up. Because when you come to church, you need to bring it with you. We need to think a little bit. <clears throat> the think. This is the thinking series in Thanksgiving week. Right? So I hope you're ready. Everybody settled in. 
Uh, you went to the bathroom before, so you shouldn't have to get up for the next little bit. And uh, let's think our way and go through this. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. We have a lot of problems. There was a, a lot of issues in the world and even in our own country, maybe even in this area, but we have a lot to be thankful for. God is good. Amen? God is good all the time. And so we've been, uh, and, the, and the question this morning is a tough question, but we've been asking some questions, and here are some of the questions we've been asking. The very first one in this series, does my life have meaning? Uh, you, you know, and, and remember, this series is designed to equip you, to equip us to talk to uh, people in the, in the world, out there in our circles, out there, people who might have these questions, people who are skeptical of your faith and your allegiance to God. So we want to give you some answers. <clears throat> That's why I'm excited about what we're doing in 2023 with uh, all of our church, from the children on up, something we're calling Foundations, where we're going to provide some answers to some of these tough questions to the children even, and all the way up, um, you know, on their level. So does my life have meaning? Yes, because we're believers, we believe life has meaning, even for those who aren't believers, because God created us. We are made in his image. We're made for eternity. That gives our life meaning. Does God really exist? That might be their second question. Well, does God really exist? And we said, yes. Now, the Bible isn't a book that sets out to prove God's existence as much as it sets out to declare God's existence. The Bible makes a declaration. The Bible makes a statement. In the beginning, God doesn't set out to prove where he came from or how he got there. It just declares that there is a God. And there are over 20 lines of evidence even not related, some of them, to the Bible that we can look at, even the stars, you know, and the, and the universe and the earth and all these things and design. There are over 20 lines of evidence for the existence of God. So, yes, God really does exist. Their next question might be, then do all religions lead to God? Do all religions lead to God? And we said the answer to that is, you remember, No. No, they don't. Some religions don't even acknowledge that you can get to God or that there is a personal God. Many of them believe in an impersonal God, but we believe in a personal God, but religion won't get you there. In fact, Christianity is not about a religion. It's about what? A relationship. What's Christianity about? It's a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is about. And so this morning, we're going to ask the next question that your friend or your skeptic friend, your agnostic friend might ask, and that is then, if, there, if there's a God, and if Christianity is true, why is there so much evil, pain, and suffering in this world? And that's a good question. And it might be that that's where you have to stop and say, <clears throat> I don't know. But I'm going to give you an answer this morning. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you an answer. Now, there might be pushed far enough. There might be some I don't knows. But there's an answer for this question. Why is there evil, pain, and suffering? Even uh, in the midst of Christianity being true. Now, those of you who know me know that I have, uh, courtesy of the United States government, visited several countries 
where evil, pain, and suffering is at the forefront. These are countries where Christianity is not welcome. Christianity is not taught. Therefore, when you take Christianity out of the picture, you take a lot of benevolence and care for people out of the picture. And so I've been to some of these countries in an army uniform, and I, I want to tell you, it is, uh, it's jaw-dropping when you see the way that some people are living and the conditions they're living under, you know, the, the, uh, how, how many women have to live in these countries and children, and it's, uh, it's very sad. But none of those visits in an army uniform could prepare me for what I experienced in 2011 when I and a few others from our church visited this little tiny island nation southeast of our country called Haiti. How many of you have been to Haiti? Anybody been to Haiti? Anybody been to any country like Haiti? Anybody been? Yeah, and when you go to, when you go to Haiti, and we've taken, I don't know, maybe 120 or 30 people with us on our trips. Our trips have been stalled for a while because of the violence the gang violence and the corruption and the greed and the problems in that country that are making it unsafe for uh, many Americans and other uh, uh, white people to, to go there. Even, uh, you know, they're kidnapping even their own people. And so we haven't been able to go because of the danger. But I'll never forget our first visit. And when we take people with us, and maybe one day you'll get to go with us, we hope you do, it grabs you like nothing else you've ever experienced. Coming from this country, one of the wealthiest nations in the world, in all of history, and going to one of the poorest countries in the world <clears throat> that is so close to us, the, the sights, the things your eyes see, the smells, the, the smell of poverty and stench and garbage and death, when you see people who are slowly dying because of sickness and disease and physical conditions left untreated that could easily be treated here. But the thing that gets most people is what gets me every time, and uh, it, it's the faces of the children. Am I right? It's the children. It's these children you know are happy and healthy to some degree that are going to grow up and end up stuck just like their, many of their parents. And so we want to scoop up many of these children. I was able to scoop one up, you know, uh, if you remember Jameson, we scooped him up several years ago and brought him over. We did it legally, by the way. We didn't scoop him up. I use that term figuratively. <clears throat> but you want to. You want to scoop them up. You just want to bring them all. And, you know, we, we offer, through our mission, we offer sponsorships. I wish you'd go on our website, our church website, gatewaychurch.net, and go to that Haiti page and, and look at the faces of unsponsored children. And I wish you'd just pick one out. Maybe one day you could go meet them. My wife and I fell in love not only with little Jameson, but we fell in love with this little girl named Shedlin because I was really close to her mother and some of the other people. And Shedlin was, uh, she was just an angel. She was just a bright shiner. She was uh, smart, so smart. There are so many things I could say about her, and this picture that was taken was just a month or so before she died. 
And we sponsored her for years. We sponsored her for years, but Shedlin developed some kind, we believe, some kind of a stomach-borne illness, something here that could have been treated very easily. And because when you get sick, you need medicine and you need extra food, you need extra uh, fluids and things, her family was so poor, before we could even realize it, and we did a lot, we did all we could, and I saw her here and uh, actually took food and things to the family, but it wasn't enough because there were lots of children in this family. And uh, so the grandmother called, the mo- The mother was out of wedlock, she didn't have a, a husband, which is common, very typical for these teenage girls over there. So trying to raise little Shedlin uh, on her own, she didn't have money, her parents where she kind of dropped the Shedlin off, you know, didn't have money, so the they called the father, the dad, and said, you got to come and get her because we can't care for her. And the dad was deep into voodoo. Because he was deep into voodoo, he didn't go the traditional route of getting her any help. He should have taken her to the hospital. I wish I had taken her to the hospital. That's my biggest regret about her. But he took her, and she was out of our reach, out of our sight. And eventually, the next thing we know, she's in the hospital just a few days Uh, before she died. And I want to tell you, every time I think about her, and I think about her a lot, she uh, she felt like my own, it makes me so sad. makes me so sad, but it also makes me angry. makes me angry that here's a little girl that could have been spared this. Or here's a little girl that if she's growing up here in America, she she wouldn't have blinked an eye at this stomach-borne illness she got. She'd still be living today. When she died, it was a gut punch. I don't know, maybe you remember, some of you were around a few years ago when she died. And we grieved. We grieved her passing. I have to this day great regret about what I did and did not do for her uh, in, in that week. But her death was so preventable. It was so preventable. And I'm not only sad but angry. This must have been what Jesus felt at times. And I think what lots of people feel. In Matthew chapter 9, we have this great passage of Scripture that gets us into his heart. I mean, this is a passage really like no other because this is him just doing what he did every day, but we see the emotion in him. The Bible says in Matthew 9, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, don't gloss over that right there. We're going to stop right there for a sec. You know, John's gospel, at the end of John's gospel, it says Jesus did a whole lot more than what we've talked about here. This is the end of John's gospel. Remember this? And John says if everything that Jesus did was recorded, all the books in the world wouldn't be enough to hold what Jesus did. Here's one of those instances to back John up is that Jesus just walking through the villages, doing what he did every day, touching people, healing people, teaching to people. He healed every disease and every affliction. I think there were probably villages where disease was eradicated, where sickness was eradicated. It was gone. Now, it might have come back. It did come back. But for a little while, everybody was well because the healer had been there. The master, the savior had been to town. And so... Bible says, Matthew says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I just saw this week where the world population topped 8 billion. So there are 8 billion people in our world today. That's a big harvest field, isn't it? Eight billion's a big field. And I'm afraid that in Haiti and in other places throughout the world, as the population continues to explode, not exploding in this country, but exploding in, in uh, many countries, I'm afraid that evil is spreading a whole lot faster than the light of the gospel. I'm afraid that pain and suffering is more prevalent than the gospel. And this stares us in the face every day, even in our nation, the wealthiest nation in the world. The gospel is reaching a lot of people, yet there's still pain and suffering. What's our answer for them? Like many, even many here in our own country, they say if God is so good and God is so powerful, then why does he allow evil, pain, and suffering to exist? And here's the little formula they use. Agnostics, atheists, skeptics. They say, if God is so good, the fact that evil, pain, and suffering still exist must mean that he is not all-powerful. In other words, God may want to do something about this, but he can't. He's good, but he's not powerful. Well, that's not a God I want to follow. It's not a God I want to believe in. If he just cares, but he can't do anything about it. Or they ask it in a different way. They say, if God is all-powerful, but yet evil, pain, and suffering still exist, then he must not be all good. In other words, he could do something about it. He just doesn't want to. He, that indicates a nefarious God, a, a, a God that is... Uh, you know, mean. If he could do something about it, and he doesn't, he's all powerful, but not he's not good. What kind of a God is that? Bart Ehrman, <clears throat> Bart Ehrman used to be a Christian, very active in his faith, very active in mission work. And he did so much mission work that he is a man who walked away from God because of the plight of people that he saw. He didn't stop believing in a God. He just stopped believing in a personal, powerful God. Here's what he said. He said, the problem of suffering became, for me, the problem of faith. After many years of grappling with the problem, trying to explain it, thinking through the explanations that others have offered, I finally admitted defeat. Thinking through uh, came to realize, I finally came to realize that I could no longer believe in the God of my tradition and acknowledge that I was an agnostic. I don't know if there is a God, he went on to say, but I think that if there is one, he certainly isn't the one proclaimed by the Judeo-Christian tradition, the one who is actively and powerfully involved in this world. And so, Ehrman says, I stopped going to church. Now, surprisingly, Ehrman's wife, who witnessed much of the same thing that he did, she's still a committed Christian. And that's kind of interesting that, you know, two people could experience the same thing and one go away and one come closer. 
Now, you've heard about C.S. Lewis, right? You've heard us talk about C.S. Lewis. He was one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the last century. We quote him pretty often around here because he's, he was brilliant. And he suffered a lot. He went through a lot in the death of his wife and some things, you know, he lived during uh, World War II and all that time. And, and he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. Now, he, unlike Ehrman, who walked away from God because of the problem of evil and pain, C.S. Lewis decided that the problem of pain was evidence for the existence of a personal God. Here's what he said in his book, The Problem of Pain. He said, my argument before was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has an idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Do you understand what Lewis is saying? He's saying the only way I knew that something was wrong is because I knew what was right. The only way you know a line's crooked is if you know what a straight line looks like. Therefore, because I know that there is pain, there is evil, there is suffering, there is morality and immorality, I believe there's a God because God put that knowledge into my heart and I know because of the character and nature of God what good is. Therefore, anything short of that must be evil. And the further away from God you get, the more evil you get into. So Jesus walking through these cities and villages. He's healing people. He's teaching people. Matthew uses three words here that I want to bring to your attention. Three words in this text. And the first word is the word compassion, and it tells us how Jesus felt. This word compassion is an interesting Greek word. It's esplachnistha, and that's in this, in this uh, context. The actual word is splach, and you gotta, you got to use that hawking, spitting thing in the back. It feels good. Your husband does this a lot, right, in the morning. Splach, splachness, splachna, and it, it refers to the bowels refers to the bowels. And ancient people believed that the, the bowels were the seat of compassion and emotion. And that's why we use a phrase like I used earlier when Shedlin died, I said for me and my wife and for many others, it was a gut punch. It was a gut punch. Here's one of our children right in the midst of everything, lived right next to the mission, right next to the church, and she died. That's a gut punch. That's a gut punch and a wake-up call to all of us. And so when Jesus was looking at these people who were suffering, he felt it in his gut. It was a, a deep-down pity and compassion. Just this morning, Jameson and I, Jennifer comes to church early when she plays uh, keyboard, and Jameson and I will come uh, later. And uh, just this morning, uh, he brought up, What's going on in Haiti? What, what is going on in Haiti, and what can we do about it? And he hurts. He aches. His gut hurts for his people. And one day, many, many years ago, when we first got him, he said to me, he said, I don't know what God's going to do with me. I don't know. Now, he's pursuing his culinary dream, which he would have never been able to do in Haiti, but I think God has big plans for him as long as he keeps that gut feeling, as long as he hurts for people. I wonder if you and I really 
have that gut feeling for people who are suffering today. And we see it on TV, we see the commercials, we, we hear about things that are happening in other countries, but it's hard for us, isn't it, because we live such a good life. I mean, we, we have it made here. We're the richest nation in the world, and even the poor people in this country are, have access to wealth and so much. I think we have to be careful not to miss what Jesus felt here and how we should feel for people who are suffering. What can we do for them? Now, the two other words that are in this text that I think show us the origin of evil, pain, and suffering, Matthew uses. The first word is the word harassed. He said they were harassed and helpless. And this word harassed <clears throat> kind of leads us, it, imp- it, it indicates that this is suffering that comes from other people. This is man-made suffering. You know the word harassed. It means somebody is messing with somebody else. And there has been man-made suffering from the beginning of man. Men and women doing evil things. Think of great dictators who've tried to annihilate uh, entire races of people or tried to kill and killed hundreds and thousands of millions of people. Think of What's going on that you and I don't hear a lot about in some African nations where, where entire villages and tribes are being slaughtered and just being put to the sword and killed. Brutal, brutal ways. The, the, the brutality and the violence that the human mind can come up with is incredible. And you've heard of the stories. And if you haven't, ask me which books you should read. It's horrendous and the people of jesus day were were victims of roman oppression of Jew, the jewish leaders oppression they were they were suffering the other word here is helpless i think this indicates evil not from the hands of man but from the world we live in things like hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and things that we call natural disasters and these people were suffering those things too So you have evil that comes from two different places. It comes from the heart or the mind of man, and it comes because of the world we live in, which ultimately comes from the heart and mind of man because Adam and Eve sinned, rebelled against God. So it's really all tied back to the heart of man. And so in John's gospel, we read in our focus verse that Cherish led us in this morning, there was a guy who was born blind, and the disciples asked Jesus, they said, whose fault is this? This man is born blind. Was this his fault or was this his parents' fault? Jesus said it wasn't his fault or his parents' fault. It's just because of the way we live, the world we live in, that this kind of stuff happens. And so Jesus performed a miracle there that day, unlike any other miracle. He spit on the ground. He made mud. He didn't have to do that, did he? Why did he do that? He spit on the ground. He made mud, and he rubbed it on the guy's eyes. He could have just spoke it. He could have just spoke the healing, but he made mud, rubbed it on the guy's eyes, said, go wash off, and then uh, come back. And so that's what happened. When the blind man was explaining to the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus, who wanted the people to condemn Jesus as a sinner, the blind man, as you saw there, he said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. Maybe we should sing Amazing Grace. That's that famous line there. But here's what he said in verse 32. He said, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I think the reason Jesus did something with mud 
and dirt there. I think he was kind of pushing their minds back to the beginning, to Genesis. When God took a little bit of maybe some of his own spit and some mud and made the man. But Satan slid in and corrupted the man, tempted the man, and then was punished and slid away in disgrace and shame, but he, he opened an, a lifelong epic battle for the heart of humanity. So after all this, you know, and, and so what I'm getting at there is that evil had its start, but why? Why would God even create a world where evil can exist at all? And there's one, one word answer. You're talking to your friend. They're like, okay, then understand evil exists. Understand it's man-made, some of it's natural. But why would God make a world where this is the case? And there's a one-word answer. Does anybody know? It starts with an L, ends with an E. Love. Love. What, what does that mean? Why, why is that the answer for evil, pain, and suffering? We have the problem of evil because God is a God of love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. Therefore, if for a love relationship to work, it has to be in an atmosphere of what? Free will. Maybe you're married or you're engaged or newlyweds or whatever. If your spouse is forced to love you, if you're like, you will love me, maybe you've tried that, and you will always love me. That's not love, is it? That's slavery. That's robotics. If you're made to love someone, if God said, you have to love me, you're going to love me. You're going to heaven whether you want to or not. That's not what he says. He offers a love relationship where people can say yes where people can say no. And when people say no, they often usher in evil, pain, and suffering. You know, there were people who walked away from Jesus and deserted him. He allows them to do that. Well, why couldn't God have created a world in which there is free will and no evil? He could have. The prophet Isaiah said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And we know that heaven is going to be a place free from pain and suffering. <clears throat> and when I think of little Shed Lynn, that's what I think about. She's, she's not going to grow up in any kind of a world of evil, pain, and suffering. She's never going to long to have the ring that's on your finger or the phone you bring with you or those nice clothes you wear from America, she's not going to grow up in that kind of a world at all because she's in heaven. So we're going to deal with this next week. But what do we do in the meantime? I think we have to live with this. We're going to have to live with the fact that we live in a world where evil, pain, and suffering exist because God gives us the freedom to choose. And a lot of people don't choose. Now, if God fixed anything about it, he would have to fix everything. You understand what I'm saying? If you say, well, God, why did that baby die? Why did that child die? Why did that person die? If God intervenes in anything, then God is, has to intervene in everything. 
And so God, God is not pulled by this like you and I are. He knows there's heaven. Yeah, he's, he's still in the gut, if you will. Jesus, when he lived on the earth, was hurting for us. But I want to tell you three things real quickly. I know our time is up. But in your pain, God is shaping you. He's shaping you. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Well, that's verse 29 tells us, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And when you hear this word predestined, don't think, oh, there are some who are predestined. No, that's not talking about people being predestined. The predestination has to do with his plan. What was his plan? He, I like to say it like this. He predestined the plan, not the man. In other words, what he's saying here is everybody who lives, his heart for them, his goal for them, is that they would become more like his son, more like Jesus. So whatever you're going through, tough times, good times, all times, God's purpose for you is to be more like Jesus, to become more like him. Who did he foreknow? They say, well, he, he foreknew everybody. He's God. He foreknew all of us. And his predestined plan, the plan he came up with before we were even here was that we would all become like his son. What else can we see? Well, in your pain, God is not only shaping you, but he's with you. I, don't want, to, I want to dig into this deeper, but I don't have the time. But in Philippians 2, we're given a glimpse into the motivation of God when he gave Jesus. And the Bible says he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, and he even suffered death on a cross. What this, what this means for us is that there's no other religion, no other place where God not only comes to be with us, to live with us, but he suffers the worst with us. So no matter what you go through or anybody's going through, Jesus experienced that on the cross, the emotional, mental, psychological, physical agony of being abandoned, being innocent, and going to the to the cross, in one sense, to the guillotine, to the electric chair for something he never did, but because this was God's plan for the world. Oh, what a Savior. The last thing that I want to tell you about the pain that we have to come to grips with is that God is for you. God is for you. Remember in Matthew 9, uh, Jesus felt that deep compassion I think God feels that today. Though God has the big picture, and we don't always have that big picture, God is saying, I'm, I'm for you. In all these things, Paul writes, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is for you. God is for you in your pain, in your good times. God was for Shedlin. God is for Shedlin. God is for Bart Ehrman, who walked away from him. And you know, as if the gut punch of Shedlin wasn't enough, 
about six months later, I think it was, this young teenage girl that had so much promise, so much future and hope, who we thought had grown out of the, the childhood dangers of disease. Her name was Stefani. She gets the same kind of sickness. And because her parents really didn't have the resources to take care of her, she died. And I don't know if you've ever been gut punched and then gut punched again, but that's kind of what this was. And so we decided as an oversight team that whatever medical help, whatever medical resources, any student or anybody in our, we call it our village, needs, we're going to make sure they get it. Take them in and get them help. Regardless of whether they're a kid in our school or like Stephanie, she's grown past that. She's about 21 years what can we do? We can do for one what we want to do for everyone. We can keep doing for one in this evil, pain, and suffering kind of world. So I want to tell you right now, if you're outside of Christ, you, you need to link arms. I'm not saying you can't do good. You can't do good things. You can't help combat evil. But what you don't have to look forward to is a great reuniting one day place we call heaven we're going to talk about this next week it's our last question is heaven for real or are we just feeding people a bunch of false hope and lies so i'm going to invite you to stand up with me and let's pray and then i'm going to offer a response time for you to come find out what your next step is in coming to jesus lord god thank you so much for your word thank you for your son who came to live among us and die the worst of deaths i thank you god for our hope for eternity. We can be punched in the gut with loss of people we love. And I know there are people out here in this room right now who've suffered that. And perhaps not a death, but maybe it was a divorce or some kind of a abandonment or some kind of abuse. Lord, you are, you're for us. You are for us. Jesus is for us in all things. Lord, help give us the courage and the hope to hold on to him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you have a question, you want to know what your next step is,